Raymond's got left behind. Is he allowed a treat? Oh, yes. Oh, look at his face. So when I said treat, he literally <laughs> looked at me. He's, uh, he's smiling. Look at that. He's like, yeah, I'll have a treat. This week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I popped over to Chiswick House and Gardens in West London to meet legendary actor, singer, dancer, I'm going to go full on national treasure, Bonnie Langford. Bonnie brought along her beautiful multi-poo, Poppy, who of course had a pink bow on her collar. Langford's not messing about on the style front. And we had the loveliest chat. Bonnie is currently on tour in the musical Anything Goes, but she decided to spend one of her precious days off meeting Raymond because Bonnie loves dogs. There was an awful lot to chat to Bonnie about because she's been working professionally since she was six years old when she appeared on the 1970s talent show Opportunity Knocks. But she told me she was actually quite a quiet kid rather than a noisy extrovert who just observed a lot, got on with the job and kind of never lost herself in show business. We chatted about her role as Violet Elizabeth in the TV show Just William and her incredible theatre career, appearing in everything from Cats when she was just 16 to 42nd Street in Chicago. We also talked about her stint working with not one, but two doctors in Doctor Who, her role in EastEnders and the brilliant time she had appearing on The Masked Dancer. Bonnie also talked about her friend Lena Zavaroni, who also became a hugely famous child star at the same time but very sadly suffered from anorexia and lost her life eventually at just 35. And it was obviously something that had a huge impact on Bonnie and she spoke about it very movingly. I absolutely adored Bonnie. She's so warm and friendly and authentic and I have a hunch you will totally fall in love with her too. I'm also very excited to go and catch her in Anything Goes, which is on tour right now. It comes to London's Barbican Theatre on June the 25th until September. So if you want to book tickets, head to anythinggoesmusical.co.uk and I highly recommend you do. I'm going to stop talking now and hand over to the woman herself. Here's fabulous Bonnie and Poppy and Raymond. Let's follow Bonnie. Oh, okay. Uh, and like. other things I've always wanted to say in my life. Let's follow Bonnie. <laughs> you don't want to follow me, I'll lead you down the garden. <laughs> Shall we go through the sort of shadier parts? Would you be all right with that, Bonnie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's lots of places to go, and this is the busiest, so let's leave it. It's so lovely here, isn't it? Does Raymond go off lead? He does. Good. Come on in. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, there's something over here that she went and put her face in a minute ago, which wasn't very nice, so don't do that again, Pops. Come on, this way. Should we go this way, darling? Come on, Raymond. Come Follow on, Bonnie. Raymond. That's it. <laughs> oh, yes, he does like to take his time, doesn't he? <laughs> Bonnie, he's so slow. Look at him. Well, it's a new place. Yeah. He's got a lot to find out. Poppy! No, 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 no. Uh, uh. Don't know what she's found there, but it doesn't look What's very wholesome. What's Poppy got, Raymond? Come on, you. Come on. Jeez. Don't be like Poppy, Raymond. She's a very bad influence. Oh, I think she's... he likes Poppy. Oh, Poppy's quite a tease. Oh, she's terrible. She's just... When... If dogs come up... Come on, out the way, out the way. If dogs come up and, you know, do the sniffing thing, she puts her legs in an attitude. She puts her leg up like an arabesque. And it's like... <laughs> 
yeah. He's like, yes, I'm just helping you out there. It's all right. It's, it's just... I mean, of course, Bonnie Langford's dog does yeah, our best. Yeah, of course, my dog does our best, doesn't it? I need to properly introduce you. I'm so thrilled to have this woman on my podcast. I've been a fan <laughs> for my entire lifetime. I'm with the multi-talented, very wonderful, ray of sunshine, Bonnie Langford. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank and you. I'll come here more often. Well, tell us where we are first, and then I want you to introduce me formally to your dog. Okay, we are in Chiswick House and Gardens, which is in West London, and it's a beautiful landscaped uh, garden and house, uh, literally in the heart of the, of the Chiswick area. And we come here quite often, myself and my lovely little Poppy, who is a multi-poo, which is a cross between a Maltese and a miniature poodle. And she, oh, she's rolling in fox poo, Poppy. <laughs> Normally she's really well behaved, but that is naughty. Talk me through her pink bow, Bonnie. Oh, well, that's only because she gets groomed down the road. Yeah. Fabulous groomers. Costs a fortune. They do. It costs more than my hair. I spend more on my dog's oh, hair yeah. than mine, do you? Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. But they do a fabulous job. And um, she goes there for like three and a half hours. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then she, um, if we go left here, yeah. she, um, yes, yeah, so and every time she goes, they put a different bow on her, on her collar and she's just got that because she has a pink bow today. Were you always a sort of fan of dogs? Did you have dogs growing nope, up? Nope, I did not. I didn't really have any animals. I only had a, I had a hamster briefly, which my sister bought me. Uh, and then promptly the next week it had eight different, eight babies. My mother was absolutely distraught and we had, oh, and I had a tortoise. I loved my tortoise, actually. But no, not really a doggy family, particularly, or an animal family, particularly. But I did um, have a dog uh, at one point in my life, uh, but it, she was old and she yeah. passed away just before my daughter, Bibi, was born. So that's 21 years ago. Aww. But the lockdown, you know, I knew, I kind of thought, that my daughter would love. She's always said she would love a dog and wanted a dog, wanted a dog. And you know, the world that we live in and the life that we live can be so erratic that I just felt I couldn't do that properly. You know, I think the worst thing in the world is to- Well, it's traveling, you're on tour. And, yeah, you know. the worst thing is to get, is to you know take on an animal and then leave it behind. You think, well, no, I couldn't want to do that. But yes, lockdown had its moments of life is too short. Yeah. When are we gonna do this if not now? So uh, we did. It was one of those mad days of going, oh, let's just get a dog. Um, and so we did. And do you know what? She is just a joy. I love her to bits. She's got, she smiles. Normally with guests, it's fairly straightforward. You're just like, oh yeah, and then you did this, and then your career. <laughs> and it's like, with Bonnie Lampard, it's like 50 different careers, because you're know, the hardest years. working, busiest woman in, in oh, show always. business. and. Not Tell me how it all started, because it started essentially when you were, was it three months old? Well, sort of. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't really say that, but yes. So my, I do like the fact, and I probably should find out more, the fact that my great aunt was a dancer and trained in London to be a dancer and changed her name from Gladys Gaylor to Daphne Delisle because she trained alongside Ninette de Valois and Alicia Markova, who was actually Alice Marks, um, amongst all that kind of group. Wow. And she became a professional ballet dancer. And she toured the world, came back to London, 
and opened a school. And my mother, her niece, basically took it over. Mm. And um, my mother still teaches. So when I, I never knew my, um, my great aunt. Sadly, she passed away when I, I think I was 10 days old. So I never knew her. But um, yes, yeah, she was one of three sisters. And they, I, I, I really should find out this story more, but I believe that she showed potential and her family moved down to London so that she could train, which I find extraordinary in those times, particularly with girls who were not necessarily considered to be the type of you know, people that you would move house for, but they yeah. obviously did and wanted her to have her best shot and she did. Uh, so when I was born, my sisters, I have two older sisters, and they are 10 and 8 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And at that point, my eldest sister was just about to go to the Royal Ballet School at White Lodge in Richmond Park. So there was a lot of training. My other sister was at another theatre school called Arts Educational. Arts Ed, it's known yes. as now. And so, you know, it, there was dance training, schooling, my mother had a big school, and that was my life. So when I, when I was born, or when I was due, that was when she normally did her yearly show to show the parents how her children were getting on. She used to hire Richmond Theatre, because it was the local theatre. So she used to hire Richmond Theatre in West London. And she had to delay this show from July to October, because I was born in July. And, um, so she carried me on at the end of the show when they did it in October <laughs> instead of a bouquet of flowers. So that's the three months old literally being carried on. Yeah. Um, and apparently I smile. You know, babies, they look at lights, don't they? You know, you see a light, everyone's smiling at you. A Bonnie Langford baby looks at lights. Well, you know, most babies <laughs> do, I think. Yeah. So, and what was your family environment like? Was your, was your dad in... Was he not a musical type? He used to, not really. Well, he tried to play the piano, but he used to do this very heavy breathing when he played the piano, and we used to take <laughs> the mickey out of him. You know when you do when you don't know where the, you don't know where the next note is, and you go. <gasps> so we used to call it. Oh gosh, he's heavy breathing again. So that I mean, bless him. He mercilessly teased by three girls. I mean, the poor man. He must have had a terrible time. He adored it. He was ador He was a wonderful, wonderful man. The absolute rock. Um, adored motor racing, driving, all those things. And basically he ended up just really picking us up and taking us everywhere. <laughs> but he would always be there. What was his job? What he, was, he ran a leather goods company. Yeah. So, I mean, he was a very creative man. I think in another day and age, he would have been a fantastic teacher, but he ended up having to take over the family business as such and run this leather goods company. Um, he, and it was, it was all specialised leather goods. So some of the things they used to make were the red boxes for the ministers at the House of Commons, things like that. It was all very specialised. And um, he, he ran it out of a, a, a building, actually, in Wandsworth Road, which he now rents out. Well, my father's passed, but it's yeah. now rented out to um, Gordon Ramsay for his prep kitchens. So I was living in America for a while, about 10, mm, ten years ago. And... Um, I was living in a little sort of suburb of New York and uh, my mother came over to visit and I said, oh, you know, Gordon's doing one of his restaurants, his kitchen nightmare restaurants in this little town in Ridgewood. And I said, should we drive by? So we drove by 
and uh, I saw him walking down the street. So I parked up and I went, Gordon. And he went, oh, hello, what are you doing here? Because he recognised me. And I said, I said, well, I just wanted to introduce you to my mother because you rent your kitchens from her building. Mm. And he went, oh, do I owe you money? <laughs> That's the first thing he said, do I owe you money? But no, actually, strangely enough, you don't. <laughs> oh, Raymond's got left behind. Is he allowed to treat? Oh, yes. Oh, look at his face. So when I said treat, he literally <laughs> looked at me. He's, uh, he's smiling. Look at that. He's like, yeah, I'll have a treat. Okay, sit down, Raymond. Good boy. Sit down, Poppy. Come and sit. Good girl. There we go. One each. Did you say thank you to Bonnie? It's <laughs> oh, worse than me. <laughs> so, because your mum was a teacher and obviously discipline goes hand in hand with mm -hmm. dancing, particularly that kind of dancing, and... So was it quite a, there were rules and, you know, love yeah, and boundaries, essentially. Were, yeah, my parents were old fashioned and, you know, but very, um, for all the madness that there often was, there was a great sense of calm and a huge sense of love. And, uh, and also that it was training to learn your skills and your craft and, and opportunities came along that were literally that. It wasn't, oh, this is your start of your career. It was, it was always that, it'd be nice. How lovely, what a lovely opportunity. Um, that'd be a nice experience. And that was it. There, there was a, a, in many respects, a wonderful sense of naivety about everything. And I think that's been a, a wonderful benefit for me because, and I often wonder, so, with doing that sort of the shows that I did for my mum, which I only did till I was about seven or eight, um, my initial sort of introduction to theatre and stage was surrounded by love, mm. because you know I was carried on and loved. Um, I, my two sisters, if I then went in my first show, I think I was about eighteen months or something, and they would hold my hands either side, and I'd just walk on and point my toe or something, and everyone would go, oh. but. Um, it was, it was very protected. Um, my two sisters, as I say, held my hands. Mm. Um, it's strange, actually, because although it was, they were sort of the sisters and me, we were sort of separate in some respects because of the age difference. Um, we're still very close, very close. But um, my daughter's an only child, and she was saying the other day that she hates being on her own. I quite like being on my own, mm. um, which is strange, isn't it? I think you just have that sense of someone's, there's, there's a sort of presence even when they're absent. Maybe. When you've got, when you've got the siblings, I think, you know, you're just. But as I say, you know, most of it, I was sort of separate really. Yeah. Because of just through age, you just don't have the same things in common. And your career as well, because we should talk about, I mean, you were pretty young when you started. What was your, your first big break? Was it Opportunity Knocks? I did Opportunity Knocks, but that was only because um, someone who was involved in my mother's shows um, actually used to, he was an older guy who was brought in uh, to dance with my sister because it was mainly all girls at this dancing school and she was a beautiful dancer obviously and um, he came to dance anyway he worked uh, his proper job was working uh, in uh, wardrobe he was a fantastic That's costume fine. designer yeah with um, at Thames Television which was based in Teddington at the time which is only a couple of couple of uh, towns mm. over and um, he filled in a form for me to go on the programme. So, uh, so yeah, and that happened by complete default. And my parents took me up to Chelsea Barracks, 
where these auditions were being held, and it was absolute carnage. And how old were you, Bonnie? Six. Six. Oh, and we six. should say, I mean, in case anyone doesn't know, but Opportunity Knox was, it was huge. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was the biggest... Well, Britain's Got Talent, yeah. basically, wasn't exactly. it? It was Britain's Got Talent. Um, but I don't think, I mean, yes, people would go on it, and, you know, professionals would go on it in order to get a, a, an opportunity, literally, to be seen. That was the whole point of it. It was a platform um, to take them out of maybe the circuit of summer season panto, summer yeah, season panto, yeah. summer season panto clubs. Um, Working men's clubs, you know, it, was, it, it launched a, a tremendous amount of, of light entertainment, particularly. But also, it had that element of um, anybody could go on it. So I remember the the week that I was on it, there was a group of Amdrams were doing the finale of Hello Dolly, yeah. all in their period costume. Because I remember them vividly, because there were all these people dressed up in these very strange outfits, and um, they were so nervous. And I just sat in a corner. I was a very, very quiet child. Never said boo to a goose, but I watched everything. I just love just watching people. Um, and you were kind of a triple threat, really, weren't you? Because you did it all. You weren't, you could sing, you could dance, you know, you could act. Did you have one thing at that stage that you thought, I'm, no. I'm passionate about singing, for example? Which no, was, I never thought about anything. Did just you? <laughs> I didn't sit there going, no, this is my career, I need to sit down. I was six. I didn't think about anything. I just liked doing it. Yeah. I do remember going into the studio at Thames and the director saying, um, you know, if you think about it um, and you remember, uh, the camera, big camera, these huge great things, um, with the red light on, you'll be seeing your friends at home. You'll be able, you'll be looking at them and they'll see you. I thought that was fascinating. It was just fascinating. I had no fear. I just thought, that's just lovely. I've never been in anywhere like this before, and it was considered an, a, a, it was considered that kind of a, 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 an experience. It was just something nice to do on a Saturday afternoon. And in those days, you didn't do that thing that they do now, which is, oh, this is going to change my life. I'll buy my mother a house and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Six years old, <laughs> and you don't. I mean, quite frankly, you might have that for whatever the prize is they give you, but nothing else. Nothing else at all. I mean, they, life's not like that, really. Yeah. People think that you go on TV or on stage and money's just pouring in like some kind of fountain. It's not. It just doesn't. We're freelance. But there I are think wonderful things you can get as lovely bonuses. And some yes. people, yes, okay, movie stars. But the general, sort of, the likes of me, we, we, you know, we have to do the old elbow grease to make make the bills, you know, especially in theatre. Then obviously I remember you in Just William, which you got that part Gosh. and that became so woven into it. I know. The only thing I regret about that is that I didn't wear a wig. Really? Because, well, Richmond Crompton, who wrote the books that the series was literally lifted from, I mean, it's beautifully adapted and made. It was made by almost pretty much the same team that um, shot upstairs, downstairs, so it had that feel to it. It was wonderfully period, wonderfully um, calm. It was only meant to be a Sunday afternoon children's programme, which indeed it was, and it's never been repeated. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the only thing I regret about it is that Richmond Crompton dis describes Violet Elizabeth as having short blonde curly hair, which I wish I'd had. Um, you know, I wish I'd worn a wig. 
because I couldn't then, you know, the director said, oh, it'd be all right if we just use your hair because it's just perfect for the, for the part and wigs on kids is not usually great, the best idea. Because I was very late to the auditions for that because they had been looking for six-year-olds, which is why it was only written for a couple of episodes. And how old and you were? I was 12. 12, yeah. I was very, it was like, really? I'm playing a six-year-old? Are you kidding? <laughs> Um, but I went, my father took me to the audition for that at London Studios and I had to go into this office and they were all the casting director and the cast, uh, the director and the producer were all sitting around the table. They're very sweet. Uh, it was around a round table and they said would I sort of read this scene which they had given me before and I'm glad they had because it was really hard to decipher because it was all, uh, Violet Elizabeth has a lisp and it was written with the lisp so it was instead of writing something like six it was written t-h-i-x-t-h -h. Um, and it, it was quite hard to sort of work <laughs> out anyway I started reading this scene and they all started creasing up with laughter and I thought have I done something wrong <laughs> what's happened they were all just killing themselves they were howling and I was like what have I done have I done it they did it wrong and they were just very charming and I got the job. Because I thought Violet Elizabeth was hilarious. She was yeah. Diana Dawes' daughter, for God's sake, you know. Diana Dawes played my mother. It was she such was a brilliant comic creation of yours. And, but I think... Um, yeah, but people didn't see her as comedy. They thought I was real. <laughs> Which was a kind of compliment, but at the same time was like, oh. And still, even now sometimes, now my phrase when people go, oh, scream and scream or something, I go, oh, showing your age. Because it's never been repeated. Where's Raymond? Oh, God. I think we should rechristen this podcast, Where's Raymond? Where's Raymond? <laughs> Raymond! Come on, Raymond! Raymond! Oh, no, look, he's having a fantastic time. He's just lovely. What do you think's wrong with him, Bonnie? No, he's lovely. There's nothing wrong with him. Don't Because, look, he's leaving his scent and he's smelling and he's... Look, this is an absolute kaleidoscope of smells and, and sounds and experiences for him. We have no concept of how much dogs can smell. It's, I mean, 100 million times more than we can. But I can see that's really interesting what you say. I can see how um, just that becomes so woven into the fabric of who people think you are when you play an iconic character like that. Because I didn't wear a wig, I couldn't take her off. And I have got red curly hair. And I mean, I know I had ringlets, which was a bit much, but you know. You know, an experience like that, playing a a character that became almost a cartoon version mm -hmm. of you that, mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with you as we know as nope. a character it became so huge Did the it? fact that you stayed see i didn't really know that i never used to read the papers i was only 12. didn't bother with that and i was at theater school by then i was at italia conti uh, I'd be, i had gone to arts head and prior to that as well i'd been to america for a year with um angela lansbury in a show called gypsy the age of 10 I was on Broadway and it was it was it was quite life-changing because apart from anything else in those days you know we're talking the early 70s yeah we had influences from America but nothing like we have now um, so it was a completely eye-opening different world and it brought me out of my shell actually uh, but when I came back to England having been on Broadway for the best part of a year my school which was Arts Ed which is a theatre school where you would think they were like-minded people my, uh, they, uh, the head teachers told my friends 
to not mention it, not mention that I'd been to America because I would get big-headed. And the opposite happened because I started to think I'd done something wrong. Why didn't anyone yeah. want to talk to me? And I had a lot of quite sort of people in my in my class that were well hopefully wanting to go into the business but also yeah I had Vicky Russell Ken Russell's daughter um, uh, uh, Beryl Brainbridge's daughter was in there she's my best friend Kelly Hunter and we were studying America and I did this whole project on America just to sort of make it educational and um, when it came to she, teacher said you know has anybody been across to the United States and I put my hand up, I was the only one that was ignored. And I started to feel really ashamed of what I'd done. Why, mm. did I, why, don't, they, why don't they want to know places I've seen and the things that I've done, you know, can I not share? Mm. Not in a big-headed way, I would never do that. So I started to not want to go to school, quite frankly, which was very unlike me. Anyway, I went to Italia Conti, and uh, that's when I did Just William, was when I was there, and I'm really glad because they really celebrated yes. that you were doing things but along with everyone else who were also yeah. doing things. I mean, when I was there, most of my class were in Grange Hill. So it was just a case of, oh, you're filming today. Okay, so yeah. you have to do your schoolwork instead of your dance stuff. Uh, and uh, we'll give you the homework. And um, great, well done, brilliant. Nobody was different. Oh, he's hot. It's all right, Ray, but he's Should not too here for a minute then and yeah. let them cool down. Yeah, good idea. Let me give him some water. So Poppy's called Poppy because we got her on August the 14th, which was the date, not the actual day, but the date that my father passed. Oh. And he used to forget, all, because there were three of us, he would forget our names. And he'd just go, as my sisters are Sharida, Petrina, and I'm Bonnie, but I was Bonita, but Bon. And he'd go, Ched, Pet, Bon, whatever your name is, Poppy. <laughs> and he'd just go, Poppy, Poppy, where are you? Hello. So this one's called Poppy because of my father. How lovely. Oh, Raymond, do you want Come some on. water? One of the funniest stories you tell, Bonnie Langford was seven, yeah. appearing in a musical production of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And this is how level-headed this woman is. There was a, a remark made by someone quite high-profile about you, which was... Noel Coward. Yeah. Noel Coward, yes. So I was in this huge show. It was a massive production um, of Gone with the Wind. And, of course, being an epic book, it was also an epic show and rather too long. And there's two versions of this story. So it involves a horse because of the many things and the huge effects that were on stage, including an entire steam engine, the burning of Atlanta, and a, a shire horse called Charlie, who came from um, the Whitbread Brewery, which was round the corner in the Barbican. And in fact, when I do Anything Goes, I'm gonna be round the corner from where Charlie used to live. And, uh, so, and then in the second act, this cute seven-year-old kid playing five, always played younger, um, until now, and anything goes, I'm playing much older. <laughs> anyway, so Charlie um, was brought to the theatre every night and performed beautifully, but on the first night, uh, I believe we were on a little bit earlier, which was probably pr the problem, but I like to say he got rather nervous, and when he mm. went on stage, he left little steamy packages, <laughs> and the stage manager had to come on with a shovel and scoop them up before we could continue. Anyway, the show went on and on and on and on and on, and eventually, in the second act, there was a cute kid singing a song with Brett Butler and um, uh, Prissy. It was a very cute number, it, and after all the darkness of the show, it was a light relief. 
Anyway, Noel Coward being his usual self, after the show there was a party and the producer went to him and said, what did you think of the show? And he said, well, my dear, you can solve two problems at once. Shove the child up the horse's ass." And that was me. That was me. He's talking about me. Uh, there is a cleaner version, which is, uh, well, my dear, you can solve the problem by cutting the second act and the child's throat. And that was me as well. And uh, of course, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it. And then when I was about 14, I was doing some charity gig somewhere and Derek Nimmo was introducing oh, yeah. me. And he told this story. And I, that's the first I'd heard of it when I was 14. I turned to my mother who was in the wings because she was my chaperone and I went, is that true? And she went, yes, I'm afraid it was. We didn't like to tell you. Get on the stage. Okay. <laughs> I went on and sang something like, you know, tomorrow or something. But uh, I know, it, sometimes I'm like, what? But, <laughs> Hey-ho, I'm still here, aren't I? He also oh, said this other thing, which is, um, uh, try hard, do your best, and never listen to anything anyone says about you. So I don't. Well, that looks like a little Poppy as well. That's Louise. Hi, Louise. You all right, Dan? <gasps> she looks like Poppy. She does. Is it a multi-poo? It's a he. Actually. It's a he. Oh. Is he a multi-poo? Oh. He is. So Louise does um, puppy training, and Poppy Hi, and I Louise. went there when we were young. That she walks, she often walks in Gunnersbury. She walks this amazing Afghan oh. who's just called Boris, yes. who is just hilarious. Hello, Hello you. This is Emily and Hello. Sarah. We're just doing a, a podcast for The Times. It's frightfully really? posh, isn't it's it? It's called Walking the Dog. What's your business called? Walkies and Waggy Tails. Yeah. As uh, recommended by Bonnie Langford. Yeah, no, very <laughs> wonderful. Pops is doing really well, and now she's absolutely fine at the theatre. When I first took her in to Anything Goes, the first day I was at Bristol, and my dressing room was right near the stage as well, and she was banging on the door, and they actually had to put a wedge in the door to stop it banging, because you'd hear it, and I was thinking, oh, how am I going to make this happen? It's just not going to work. Second day, absolutely fine. Oh, absolutely fine. We need to let you go now, because yes. I'll be, keep you all day, but one question. How do I stop my dog stopping, how frequently would you say, Bonnie? I mean, it's every 30 seconds, isn't it, to smell just, everything? smell everything. So, loves smelling them. Um, you start using it as a reward. Oh. So if you are, so if you know there's something coming up that he would love to smell, yeah. then you say, go on, go sniff, and you start using oh, it as a reward, and then you can probably get further and then but you yes. just have to pick the bits that are really going to be really good rewards and then say go snare. What brilliant advice. Yeah. <laughs> oh Raymond, that's what we're going to do now. It's yeah. lovely to meet you. It's nice to yeah. see you. Really Thanks Louise, nice thank you. Oh, that's nice Bonnie. Yeah, it's you know, it's such a friendly place. You meet people all the time. So, let's take things... So at this point, making the transition into... Because you, again, unusually some might say, it wasn't this period in your life. You successfully made that transition into being a performer as an adult, didn't you? Yeah, but I think, you know, luck plays a huge part. I think you have to have a great work ethic, whatever you do, and also at the same time, always be ready, just be 100%, you know, life is 100% preparation, or 99% preparation and 1% luck. And that's the whole point. You, when the luck comes, you've got to be ready for it. Mm. So. Yeah, I've always worked at what I do, and um, you, you which I like, but not all the time. No, not all the time. And I went through a phase. So I, I was abs I was very lucky because I, at sixteen, uh, got into the original cast of Cats, um, 
which was was very lucky because I then sort of weathered that time through being West End shows and being part of that kind of um, network, if you know what I mean. You know, I was there, I was out there, I was going to open auditions and doing all that, but I was sort of in that world. And, and also it became the dance craze, the whole kind of fitness Jane Fonda dance craze thing. Um, I did a TV show with Wayne Sleep because we were in Cats together. So, you know, there is that, you have got to be in the right place at the right time. But also, you have to be reliable, professional. You have to know that, you know, people are not going to pay you to do something if you're not going to turn up. You can't have those dramas. It costs money. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, you need to do your best. But also, you're being employed to do your best, so do it. Um, yes, we're all human, but there is this weird thing about show people um, who do have this amazing resilience and ability to keep going, yeah, keep yeah. going. Because you strike me very much as someone who's EastEnders, yeah, I'll give that a go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll give that a go. You don't have a fear of leaving your comfort zone necessarily. No, I so don't. That's true. That's true yeah. I used to. I was very stuck in my ways um, and kept doing it. And I think when I got to about 27, 28, or maybe, yeah, maybe, bit, yeah, about 26, 27, I was very stuck in my ways. I was doing 42nd Street. I kept thinking it would make me happy, and it didn't. And I was seeing all these little kids coming and seeing the show, and it all being about tap dancing to make mm. you happy in your life and all that thing. And you think, Nah, it's not doing it anymore because I didn't have anything else particularly to go home to. I didn't feel that I'd got the rest of my life in a place that was balanced. Um, And I was expecting my work to fix things and it doesn't. I was really tired and I was, yeah, my body was exhausted and it needed, my brain and my body needed to stop. But I was too scared to stop. It's frightening to stop sometimes, isn't it? You don't know what's going to come up at you, but you can deal with it all. And I also moved out from home. I'd, I'd, I'd kept, you know, a pace with my parents because I was touring a lot anyway. And it was that case of, well, why buy somewhere? I wish I had bought more property when I was younger. I was, you know, doing well, and I should have done that. Mm. But it was part of that whole emotional cycle of if I buy somewhere away from home, it means I've, I've moved out. And my my sister's moving out from my family. I remember being a very traumatic experience. Mm particularly for my mother, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to upset them. And, um, and I, loved my, I, you know, I loved my parents so much, and I didn't want to do that, but it was really necessary. You really have to, there is a point when you do have to, you know, fly away. And so during 42nd Street, I did buy a flat, and I did move away. Yes. And I was late, you know, I was 26, 27. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I didn't quite know what to do and I just used to sit in my flat and watch the jelly <laughs> haagen ice cream and stuff like that and think well I don't really know that I'm very happy here it's and about- I was still boring I remember going out with <laughs> I remember going out with a group of friends and I went to see a show and they said oh we're all going to go for Chinese afterwards come with us mm. and I went oh no I've got to go home and do my ironing and I meant it I meant it I mean how sad is that and they went oh for goodness sake what the heck are you doing and I went no, I want to go home. And I did, I went home and I did my ironing. I mean, sad person, no, sad you know person. But I think the people that go home and do their ironing and say, no, I won't have the next drink. Those are the people that tend to be quite successful, I think. Maybe. You never had problems with addictions or alcohol or anything no. like that, did you? No, no. I always thought I'd be one of the, you know, 
one percent that got something that would then have a terrible effect. I'm yeah, I know. And I also, what was I, your addiction maybe? What was was my addiction at that point probably, and um, you know, yeah, and just finding that moment because I love you know that wonderful moment when you are. Probably more so on stage than on TV or film, because it is that moment when you know no one can turn around and say cut or show stop, particularly although they do. But you know you can't say, oh, hang on a minute, I'll just do that again. Yeah. It's happening in that moment with those people sitting in a in a, an auditorium together. There is something very magical about that. Um, and I had that moment when I was doing my dress run for 42nd Street. So I went into 42nd Street again when it was at Drury Lane about four or five years ago. I can't remember now, but yeah. And um, it was brilliant because I was playing the Dorothy Brock, the older woman character, and um, the diva who breaks her ankle at the end of the first act. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I'd come straight out of EastEnders. So it was completely the polar opposites of what mm. I've been doing, both you know, as far as routine was concerned, but also here, here I was, you know, I'd, I'd come from Albert Square, um, very dark, very um, traumatic, actually, the story I'd just done. And, uh, and then suddenly I was round tap dancing and sparkles and sequins and done music and, and Broadway and all this. It was like, good grief, I've, I've fallen into some kind of parallel universe here. Yeah. Um, I went into the show, I had two weeks to learn it, went straight in it. And uh, I had my, what they call your put-in dress rehearsal, where everybody comes in, thankfully, and they, you do a dress rehearsal, but it's only you that's the new person. So it's really quite pressured. Although I do tend to like those situations because I think, well, everyone else knows what they're doing. And I just say, look, if I'm in the wrong place, push me over. <laughs> just, just just tell me what to do. Um, anyway, so I was standing there on the stage and uh, it was the beginning of the number, 42nd Street. It's a completely empty stage. You're in a spotlight on your own. It's a very quiet moment, although the orchestra then comes in and plays this glorious music. And I stood there and my life flashed before me, literally flashed before me. I got very emotional because I thought, I started at seven years old. I made my entrance in exactly the same place as I made my entrance for Dorothy Brock. And I stood there on my own and I thought, my, you know, you know when you sort of see like a fast-forward movie, and that was my life. And I thought, I'm still here, and I like it, and I like it more than I did when I was doing 42nd Street before. So I sort of thought, gosh, I've weathered that storm. No, my life's not perfect. Whose is? But I thought, no, I am in the place where I belong. I am in the place. Why where do I belong. you think you like it more this time round? I'm not so scared of having to yeah. be perfect. I still want to be my best and do the best I can. I think I owe that to yeah. myself and to the audience and to anyone. You know, when you've had that many people come up to you, like you, you said, oh, I remember you on Just Win. I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm, mm. I'm suddenly I'm sort of somewhere in your memory bank. That's such a privilege. You've never left my memory bank. Stop. That's Isn't weird. Yeah. Now, you're still, now you're stalking me. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You think all the things that, you know, I'm, I just think that's a, a, a privilege to think that something you've done. And equally, if I had been phoning it in mm. on a performance, I would be ashamed that I would perhaps be remembered for that because I think that's so utterly disrespectful. You know, I might not be the best in the world, I might not be perfect, but at least I've tried my best. I need to ask you about Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Because you were the Doctor's assistant. I was. And you played Two Doctor's assistants. Two Doctors? Yeah, I covered, I, at one, for one point, 
until Billy Piper came into it later on, I was the only one who, who uh, was part of a sort of a regeneration and was part of two Doctors uh, series. So I was the, the sixth and seventh. I always say that with a slight question mark because I'm never quite sure. I'm, yeah. Yeah, it's six right. and seven. No, I am sure about that. I find Doctor no, I Who sure. fans aren't remotely pedantic about details. So it's no. fine. <laughs> no, no, not at all. They won't tell you anything about anything. They won't tell you what door you came out of and which corridor you went down to. No, no. They won't tell you which monster you talked to and why. No, no nothing like that. They're, they're really not concerned with detail. Wrong. Yeah, was it fun to film that, Bonnie? Did you enjoy well, working on it? it was. It was. It was. I was very um, naive going into it, to be honest, and did not know of the detail and the <laughs> intensity with which the Doctor Who fans follow the program, which has got more over the years as well. But you know what? It was. It's when you think of all the work you do, and Doctor Who is the gift that keeps on giving. And what I'm pleased about, I'm really pleased about, because when I did it, it was part of the sort of wobbly set, slightly dodgy monsters. It had a charm. I'm not going to say it didn't have a charm, but it was it was very low key, uh, very low budget, and uh, going through a, a, a difficult period of its life. It was going through its transition, let's say. And um, and I was brought into it and ignorantly didn't really know anything much about it. I'd never watched the programme when I was young because I heard the music and used to fly behind the sofa like so many kids. And then I was probably doing matinees of shows and things, which sounds very theatrical. But um, I, uh, yeah, it was not my thing. And so, I, but I went into it because I thought it was different. You know, oh, well, that's something I haven't done before. Let's do that. And I joined the show when it was literally being taken off by Michael Grade, who then became my boss when I was doing 42nd Street, and is delightful. Um, but he didn't understand the value of it, and I don't think I did either at the time. Because literally, I mean look, it's over 50 years now, and um, uh, it's, it is a, a wonderful institution. I'm so glad it has been revived and sort of given the... Um, the budget, the credit, the, the, the creatives that it deserves. But I, I did the show, I did it for two years, and then went off, did something else. I mm. didn't like to do anything for too long. And uh, I always thought I was probably pretty awful in it, so I never watched it, because I don't like watching myself anyway. Do you not? No. And I'd come, you know, at that point I was, you know, this is the problem with trying to be earnest and doing your best too much, because Sometimes you try and look for things in characters that are just not there. And uh, so I would act and try and be this, you know, on, you know, give it that bit extra when we, when we shot. And to be honest, I should have just stood in the back and said, but doctor, look at this one. Bonnie, do you want to describe what we've just seen? So we've just seen, is it St. Bernard, isn't he? Is he St. Bernard or is he? No, I don't know what he is. Newfoundland. Newfoundland. <gasps> is it Nana the Peter Pan dog? He is Nana the Peter Pan dog. Oh, look. There's another one that's even bigger that comes in here as well, actually. He's gorgeous. I love those dogs. The only thing is. I don't like the dribble. I don't like the dribble. And no. also, is it a bit like getting into bed with a man? Not that it's a. <laughs> That's a very hairy man. You're discussing. <laughs> I don't know what men you go out with, but hey. <laughs> but men dribble, yeah, that's true. But it's, it's just the, the limbs. If that was cuddling off into my back, <laughs> it would basically feel like I had a short, hairy man in my bed. No, and maybe that's not so bad, but you know. Hey ho. I don't know what you're into, Emily. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, 
That I think you'd be pushed out of bed by that, actually. Can you imagine? Jump up on the bed. Whoa. Hey. Do you let Poppy on the bed? I do. So do I, I didn't. Raymond. I did it for a year. I was such a good person. <laughs> I, she was crate trained. She was fantastic. And then I don't know why, something happened and she started banging on her crate and wouldn't stop and wouldn't stop and then I relented. Come on. It's time, Ronnie Langford. I need to talk to you mm. about yes. a very exciting development because you have joined us here very kindly because you're a busy woman. You're on tour at the moment. I am. And you're in anything. I mean, I'm telling you what you're doing right now. Yeah. I'm like your PA. Thank you very much. But I need one. You're currently starring in Anything Goes. I am. Which is so exciting. But you know what? It's a lovely show. It's what I call a blue sky show. It's a this kind of day show with, you know, barely a cloud in the sky. It's a show that was on last year at the Barbican and we're going back to the Barbican for the summer, which is very exciting. But one of the, th one of the things I love about Anything Goes is it's, it's classy, it's big, it's tap dancing sailors, the phenomenal music and lyrics of Cole Porter, which are uh, just, I mean, utterly glorious. And also it's, it's definitely, it's, it's what I call old school musical comedy. If you took the music out, it would be a, a Marx Brothers film or a, a farce, a Ray Cooney farce. I mean, it's, it's bonkers. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all about misunderstandings. It's all about love. It's all about life making choices for you. And that sometimes you have to do what you need, not what you want. Mm. And it all turns out happy ever after in the end. It's set on an ocean liner in 1934, which was when it was first produced. And uh, it's six days sailing from New York to Southampton. And the people, the characters that are on there and all the madness that happens and the way by the time they get to land in um, Southampton, they've had three weddings. No funerals as Simon Callow is very pleased to hear about <laughs> because I play opposite the gorgeous Simon Callow. Oh, and uh, it's just about weddings. No funerals in this show. It's uplifting, it's healing, 15-piece orchestra, playing fantastic music, it's live, to have people coming into a theatre again and just enjoying themselves and laughing, mm. just laughing, 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 and, and then just having this beautiful music. So I took it because I thought it would be healing for me as well as to be out there in amongst yes. the people doing my job best I can. I haven't toured for quite some time mm. because of, you know, I'm a homebody a bit. But it is good. It does, it does bring you together more yes. as a company when you're away. Because obviously when you're at home, you, you, everyone wants to just quickly get on the tube and go home. So yes, you do connect a bit more. And it's just, it's just uplifting. I think having had the last couple of years that we've had, I mean, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was written for a, a period after, you know, it was written for after the crash to get people back to Broadway anyway. I was going to say, it feels like yeah. quite timely because there's yes. parallels there, aren't there? In oh, terms yeah. Of, yeah. Absolutely. It's one of my favourite musicals anyway. I just it? love it. Yeah. yeah, it's just as you say, you come out of that musical just smiling and feeling... You do. It's just literally, it, it's an opportunity to switch off your phone, get away from the sofa, be engaged in what's happening at that moment. Allow yourself permission to laugh and feel joyous and listen to that music and cry. I mean, the, the, you know, you've got um, 
I get a kick out of you. It's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. Uh, you know, you say these, every single song comes up and you go, oh, that one's in it, that one's in it. <laughs> you know, it is, it, is, it is a glorious score. It's a clean, healing, blue sky show. We're going to come and see it. Good. And everyone should go and see it. Thank you. Um, yeah. And you were, uh, I want to ask as well about, you mentioned your daughter. Bianna. Bianna. I call her Bibi. She's called Bibi. She's lovely. She's doing fantastically. You know, I think that the pandemic was very difficult for young people, um, particularly those that were due to sort of graduate during the pandemic and all that. It was it was tricky. It's it's hard to sort of get back going again, but it will pass. Is she going to go into the business? Do you think? Or she wants to. She wants to, but she knows the pitfalls. Yeah. And she's got to do it because she wants to and needs to, rather than. Oh, I might as well. You what can't do this business just because you, you feel like it at that minute. You have to do it because nothing else quite ticks all the boxes for you. And it's interesting, I've got a friend who's sort of in this business and she said with her kids, she said, look, I'd never discourage them, no. but I would never actively push them because no. my feeling is that you shouldn't have to push someone. You know, no. if anything, there's so many barriers exactly. in this business that they need to be comfortable not getting any encouragement at all. I know. Do you agree with <laughs> yes. that? Yes, that's a really sensible way of putting it. Yes, you don't discourage them, but you yeah. say, yeah, you, you, you know, I'll be there when it's, when yes. it's tough. And if you can't weather that storm and, you, you know, you don't want to put up with that. Because it can be, you know, it, we're all freelance, but we're marketing ourselves, really. And even though you're playing a role or, you know, even if you're a celebrity or whatever, you're still sort of, there's an element of putting on that front of house sort of um, attitude. It can, it can really kick you where it hurts at times yeah. and that's fine, you know. But no one said life was going to be easy. It's, no. it's real and that's, that's, that's when you actually, it's how you get up from being kicked that it's when you, when you grow the most. I was really moved, Bonnie. I saw, it was a while ago now, but I saw you on a documentary talking about Lena Zavaroni, who was a, obviously mm. a friend of yours and mm. contemporary and... Mm -hmm. Conties, we were great friends, great friends. Because we had that connection. We knew what was expected of us. We knew what we did. Mm. Um, and, and not very many kids did at that age, at that time. Know when you're in a large situation, you know, or a, a, a kind of a pressured when there is an expectancy from you um, both of us rather enjoyed that and together we we had sort of a, an unspoken understanding of how you navigate those situations and I I was very moved when I heard because she obviously lost her life and had yeah. terribly Terrible. suffered from a uh, anorexia Terrible. but you have always said you wanted to celebrate her talent absolutely and I really understand that and I I just want to say I'm really sorry you lost your friend because that, that mm. must have been very traumatic just because I wonder if there was a sense that in some way she uniquely you had that bond you uniquely understood where each other had come from and what it was that experience was like mm -hmm. yeah I mean funny enough I was talking to so I was in uh, Edinburgh last week and my dresser um, was a dancer former dancer and we we were chatting and she they have just uh, produced a play about Lena which they she went to see and um, 
It was interesting because my take on it, I said, did they make London the big bad wolf and all the mm. people that were in London? And she went, oh yeah, they did a bit. And I said, you see, that's not how I saw it at all. Um, you know, I think the, the difficulty that Lena and I used to talk about was the fact that she couldn't let her family down. Um, she was like this sort of shining light in the family and felt that sense of responsibility. Um, and, and not just for the, by family, I mean the entire town of Rossi. <laughs> and, um, and that it was difficult for them to understand that although she came to London, she adapted to London. It changed her life because she was away from her very small community. And you know, kids adapt, kids adjust very quickly but she then became something different within her home. And the expectancy of that, I think, weighed heavily on her. And um, to let go of that mm. was, was scary, because she might then just be normal. She was never going to be normal. She yes. had this incredible talent. And I wish she'd understood that bit more. And the way she was able to interpret songs very maturely, uh, that was a talent that no one would ever have taken away. And there was far less understanding about eating disorders then. Oh gosh, yes. But then again, I was in a world of ballad, ballet dancers. So that, that was around everywhere, yeah. you know. Ballet dancers just lived on an apple and that was it. That was, you know, it was considered normal. I knew it wasn't and I didn't do that. Um, I don't know why. Why do you think you didn't I do that? I don't know why I didn't do that. I mean, I'm fussy, I'm fussy as hell about food. But I'm not, I never got to that point. I was too thin at one point, definitely, I was Are too you? thin. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. But, you know, I kind of, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go there fully, at least, that's for sure. Um, but I did understand her, her need to hold on to something that she felt was her safe place, which of course then became the, yes. the one thing that was actually but she was, you know, the thing that doesn't get said, and this is the same I think about people like Judy Garland, is the fun. She was such fun. She yeah. was not this tragic creature. She was fun. She was determined. She was feisty. She was so determined. She was determined to have that operation. Yeah. I said to her, I said, that's too much. You, really? You want to go there? Absolutely. That's what's going to fix me. I'm going to have this operation. I'm going to get rid of this dark thing in my head. It's going to go, and I'm going to be fine. And the operation was a... A lobotomy. Yeah. I mean, you know, but you know, I can imagine she absolutely was very, very determined to get this done and that she thought that was going to sort her out. And I, and I, you know, I had a phone call seven o'clock in the morning from someone from the press and I had no idea that she'd gone. And um, they, you know, I, and, I, and my first reaction was I didn't think she'd take her life. I didn't think she'd do that. And she didn't. She didn't. She was doing it to live. Happier. But, you know, I, I just was, I was sad that she didn't get remembered for this yeah. amazing, amazing talent, this voice yeah. and this interpretation of, of how to literally immerse yourself in a song so deeply. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if you ever watch, she does this version of Going Nowhere, Neil Sedaka's song, which is a beautiful song anyway. Um, she's tiny, 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 um, and she's, it's on YouTube, and it's just incredible. 
It's incredible how she sings it. <laughs> I've got a new fan. You have, you've got a new yeah. fan, you've got a new family. We need to briefly also mention you were in the masked dancer. Oh I yes. Mean, we can finally I reveal. I did the masked dancer. It was the, the maddest show I think I've ever done. Was and it I love liberating having them off. Well, it's it's it's. I, I found it quite a psychological experiment in some respects, <laughs> and at first I didn't like it at all. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things, especially after having basically been stuck at home for two years, the one thing you want to do is get out and talk to people and share. And of course, you couldn't. First of all, I had to lie completely about doing the show. And secondly, um, I couldn't even talk to anyone when I was there. I had no idea that Tamsin Althwaite was on it. I had no idea that Louise Redknapp was on it. I had no idea that Christopher Dean was on it. Um, I didn't know anybody, you know, and these are all friends of mine. And that we were all standing together and it's like, I didn't even know what you... And in some respects, it would have been nice to have gone, is this as mad as I think it is? Um, but anyway, the, the fun, the, the fun part was, was in some respects not being guest and, and yes. constantly hiding. Um, and I love the fact that out of the four finalists, uh, three of us were over 50. And, and then there was a certain part of me that thought, oh, isn't that awful? Because actually, if they'd known it was us and we were over 50, we wouldn't even be in the show, probably. That crossed my mind. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, um, I loved doing Master Dancer. It was great fun. I loved the fact... so they. They, but I wasn't doing the style that I would normally do either, so I couldn't. They were making me do this sort of different kind of dance. Down. I know, oh my but they God. kept making me do these different um, uh, dance routines. And then I worked with um, my choreographer was a guy called Claude Mar, who works mainly with Little Mix, and he was fantastic Claudemar. and made me made me do all this stuff and ran and, and Randall and Haley. And so you have this little team around you about maybe five people who know that's you, and that's all you talk to. And you have to go before it's all it's all in code and you get driven in you, you get picked up and then 10 minutes before you get to the venue you have to put on a sweatshirt that says don't speak to me which i often wear when i'm dog walking actually because it's quite useful bonnie i've got a confession i don't jonathan's given me one have of you those. got one of those and i nearly walked today it was too hot i thought oh, i might i know but i like wearing it so because do I. people do think well, i better not go near just in case i don't want to talk <laughs> i do i wear my don't speak to me top when I'm on a dog walk and I really can't be doing with talking to everyone, um, don't speak to me. Um, and um, and then you've got the balaclava and a visor and gloves and sock. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Oh. The very first show, I didn't even realise they were actually recording it. Mm. And the very first routine, I was doing it and I was just in hysterics. <laughs> I thought it was the most bizarre thing ever and I could not stop laughing at myself. I was like, what am I doing? I've got a squirrel head on me, which I can't really move in. Very great tail like a rucksack. <laughs> and, um, and I'm doing all this kind of like Taylor Swift funky dancing. And I, what am I doing? What is this? And I'm, puppy! She Bye. always goes in that shop. She's Bye. so naughty. Are you a people pleaser? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. I've got better at it. I've yeah. got better at it, you know. I think it was, I come from that generation of always be nice, always be polite, puppy! Like boundaries, are you okay? How do you set boundaries? Do you find it difficult or are you...? I do find it difficult, but I do put my drawbridge up do quite you? a lot, yes. It's the going home and being private. I am, I will, I love being friends with people, I love talking to people, but I do know that there are certain places I stop. 
Do you, are you one of those people though that you have, you know some people it's like, only pushing me so far and now you've gone too far. Oh, I have a red mist. <laughs> oh, I have a red mist. Oh yes, I have a red mist. It's usually about sort of people who are unkind or unjust or just plain rude. I will, yeah, yeah. And, and there is, there are two forms of my anger. One is shouty, but the worst one is the quiet. Oh, that doesn't happen very often. But that quiet, steely anger, anger. Oh, that that can, that can be quite potent. Are you a con- are you good at confronting? I bet you. No, are I don't good. like confrontation. <laughs> I hate confrontation. I don't. Do you avoid like it? it? Yeah. I will always try to put things right in a nice way, or what have you. But there are times when I'll turn around and go. And the other day, somebody said something to me, and 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 they went, "Oh, could you do this?" And I went. No. And it was great, I was quite proud of myself because I just went, no, I can't, I'm not going to. And they were like, oh, I went, I'm sorry, I can't control that, too bad. You have to go to somebody else. And I was like, I was like whew, on, you're getting there, you're getting there, <laughs> starting to, should we go through here? Yeah. This is like, I find that sometimes, I think it's really good to, I just sometimes flex the muscle. Yeah. Because I specific, I always think. Yeah, but then afterwards, do you turn around and go, "Oh, actually, I didn't really mean that." Yeah. There's times when I do. I don't. Oh, like I send to feel an email. I send an email saying, "No, I can't do that," and then I'll send a follow-up saying, "I mean, what I mean by that, I, do, I don't want you to think I'm not cooperative." I <laughs> know. <laughs> well, we have to leave the door slightly open. Yes. Yes. I think that's the thing. You have to. You cannot burn all your bridges. You have to be able to have integrity. But you have to give people the opportunity. Oh, oh bless. Well, I was admiring your. Is it a Bedlington? Yeah, yeah. it's a Bedlington. You, I love a Bedlington. What is this one? It's, he's an Imperial Shih Tzu. You are incredible. He's lovely. very. Look. Yeah, you look. look like something out of Star Wars. The Bedlington. Poppy's doing an arabesque to oh, sorry, you can, oh, be rather free with herself. Oh, the Bedlington's taking a shine to Poppy. Yeah. Not so keen on oh, no, he's done his thing. It's none taken, Bedlington. <laughs> Gorgeous colouring. Oh, it's two of them. Oh, there's two Bedlingtons. What are the father and son? What are the names? Vincent and Morty. Vincent and Morty. Hello, is this Morty or Vincent? Hey, Vinny. Vincent, hello. Oi, Vinny. You're right. This is amazing looking. Bye, bye. Nice to meet you. Well done, Raymond. Are you a perfectionist? Yes, I can be. I can be. That's quite common with dancers. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're expected to be able to do this, that and the other. You can't, you're not supposed to turn around and go, I can't. <laughs> you have to go, well, I mean, look, I did dancing on ice. Yes. I never skated before in my life, didn't have any other training. And I just thought, well, I need to do this because I'd always said to my daughter, give everything a go, give it a go. And so I had to prove that, didn't I? <laughs> but there are other things I wouldn't do. And I do like to go home, you see. The reason I did dancing on ice was because I didn't have to stay anywhere with anybody else. Um, I'm not very good in groups of people. Are you not? When it, well, when it all gets a bit leery or when it's a bit show busy and kicks off, I can't be doing that. Because yeah. also people are very good at playing to the camera and I don't like that after a while. I understand it. It's a TV show that there is a certain need to be less than boring to make a TV show interesting, but not to the point being where you are fake yeah. to the core. I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. If I'm playing a part, that's absolutely fine. But if I'm having to be me, or a representation of me, 
then it has to have certain integrity. But then that probably, that probably goes back to, you know, where you started, because from a very young age, you were turning up, doing the job, but it wasn't anything, you know, there were boundaries for you. Mm. Do you know what you mean? That you were like, right, this is me on stage. Well, I went home. And then you went home? Yeah. Maybe it's also, because when I was, when I left Gypsy, so I did Gypsy in London with Angela Lansbury, when I was eight. Can I just say, imagine being able to say that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. It was amazing to think that I was in the room with those people. And it, that was, you know, I, I treasure those those memories. Mm. And, um, but it, uh, at that time, children were restricted to only performing 40 performances a year yeah. under the age of 12. And um, I did my six weeks, it was basically six weeks of gypsy in the beginning. Mm. And, uh, I went home July 14th and I woke up still crying because I couldn't understand why I was leaving this show. I was about to be on school holiday. Why was I leaving? I loved doing it so much. I didn't want to leave, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was very upset. And my parents said to me, look, if you're going to be like this when you do shows and they finish, you can't do this anymore because you can't let it affect you like that. To be upset to leave is fine, but to be mortified and to be absolutely bereft mm. it, it you you it, it's not healthy oh, I just remember that now yeah so maybe that's why I kind of I'm good at going it's done I'm on to the next do you know what's fascinating is that I had Alan Jones on this podcast oh I love Alan I used to do interviews with Alan when he was young and yeah you know we've all come from that same school oh, I think he told a similar start. story to you and that fascinates me and he told me virtually the same story <laughs> that he'd come back from performing I don't know, the Royal Albert Hall or whatever it was. Yeah. And he felt overwhelmed. Yeah. And he didn't understand what it was. It was just, it is overwhelming. Yeah. And when you're an adult, you understand why. You think, of course I'm overwhelmed. There were 2,000 people there. Yeah. And it's sort it's of unnatural to be yeah. in that. And he said he came home, he was in the car. He yeah. said, I'll never forget it. I was in this yellow car with a zebra skin seat covers <laughs> going back to Wales. And he said, I was sobbing, like uncontrollably. Yeah. And his parents said you have to move on. You did that performance and you enjoyed it, but this is a lovely thing you've done. I think, see, Alice weathered the storm. There's a, uh, I think those that do, yeah. generally, there is something that was very levelling about their upbringing. There was a strong foundation. It's also, I think, a life lesson that you must feel your emotions, but then you must let them go. And if you hold on to them too much, then you can get into a, 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 a place of hysteria. And it becomes a, a, a habit as well. You know, you, we have to learn how to deal with things because life will throw all sorts of stuff at us. And generally, it's those people who go, OK, right, now what do I do? Um, if you... If you if you think about it too much, um, you, you start going down a spiral and you get down to a, you know, it, 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 it's hard to get out of that. And it's hard to go, right, how am I going to cope with this situation? Because we are all always going to be in situations that we find hard to deal with. And Poppy's just seen a squirrel. I've just seen a squirrel. Listen to those birds. They're not frightened of making a noise. Oh no, not at all. So here, there's these, um, generally there's these wonderful um, herons. And, uh, oh, there's we've one named there. them. There they go. Bonnie, look. They're amazing. So we named them, there's four of them. Uh, there's Keith, <laughs> uh, Darren, Gloria, 
and Sharon. Which one's Sharon? that? Is that Keith? I think that might be Keith. Oh, it looks like a Keith Yeah, to Keith, me. that's Keith, isn't it? Do you have a dog voice, Bonnie? I do. Yes. Go oh, on. you have to have a dog voice. You have to have a... Hello. Hello, Poppy. Hello, Poppy. Hello, Poppy. You right, my papa? Wait, wait. Good boy, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Good boy. Oh, good boy. I mean, you have to, don't you? I mean, you oh, say I we say have to. I think those people know? think we've absolutely oh, lost us. Oh, yeah. Bonnie, I've so loved our walk together. So have I. And Thank loved you. meeting Poppy. I've loved meeting you. I and loved I... meeting you and I loved meeting Raymond. And you know, I, so often I walk around the park and, uh, and I love looking at the sky and everything, but I don't talk to anyone. So yeah. it's really lovely to chat, really lovely to chat. Well, it's been an absolute thrill and you're everything I hoped you would be and more. And I'm <laughs> so excited you. to come and see you in Anything Goes. We yeah. are coming. Oh, little snort. A little snort there. He had a little snort. <laughs> do you love it when they do that half-eye thing? There's some special places behind her shoulders, Poppy's shoulders, that she literally, her eyes go back into her head and then she just can't help but yawn. Do you know what I found as well with having a dog? Yeah. Is that those times when you get into a habit of saying things to yourself, like, oh, that's so stupid, or why did yes. I do that, what am I doing? When you have a dog, because you're being loving to the dog, it's actually feeding your own soul. So when you're like, oh, lovely, rub your tummy and all those things that you say, I think actually it has a really positive effect on you. You say you're nicer to yourself because you're being nicer to your dog. No, I think dogs do encourage you to want to be a better person. Yep, utterly. Oh, well, Bonnie, we've loved meeting you. Bye-bye. Bye, Raymond. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.